The mercury has fallen, but things are heating up on the hardwood in mid-February. Welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot, the first and only podcast dedicated exclusively to New Jersey college basketball. I'm Jerry Carino, and I am joined by longtime colleague Steve Edelson, Edelson after what was the craziest week of the season so far. Lots to discuss, but first, a special guest. Quite possibly the best play-by-play man in all of American sports. He's widely known as the voice of the New York Mets. But for the past 20 years, he has wintered by teaming with our good friend Dave Popkin on Seton Hall Basketball's radio broadcast. The one, the only, Gary Cohen. Gary, welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Steve. Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is great. And Gary, you and I started the same year as on Seton Hall, uh, 2003-04. So 20 years and counting as the voice of the Pirates. What have been the most memorable moments to call? Well, that's that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think probably the, the championship game in the Big East tournament in 2016, that was – that was pretty special because it had been over 20 years since Seton Hall had won a Big East tournament. And and that group was was so phenomenal. And, um, you know, the way Isaiah Whitehead took over that game. But, you know, it, it, it was hard to know at the time. But that first year when you and I were covering the Pirates and they beat Arizona in the NCAA tournament, I don't think we knew how singular an event that was going to be at the time but I mean they beat a team with four NBA players and um, that was that was really phenomenal looking back on it um, you you thought that that was going to be a a more frequent occurrence but they've only they've only won one NCAA tournament game since right to come back from 14 down too against that Arizona team really wild scene in Raleigh you're right we kind of didn't know like how unusual or special that would be like it's gonna be like this every year but now you appreciate those moments more for sure. Yeah, no question about it. Um, you know, sometimes you remember things that are not so great. Like um, the year after Seton Hall won the Big East Tournament when they lost in the semifinals to Villanova, I just had this this mental picture of Angel Delgado collapsing in despair after missing a shot at the end of the game and Josh Hart, of all people, coming over to console him which tells you a lot about Josh Hart, but it also, it, it, it reminds you that, you know, these kids are so young and sometimes so emotionally fragile. And, you know, sometimes the, the, the losses make the winning even better. You know, there were so many question marks surrounding this current team, Gary, coming into the season. Are you surprised at how well they've done? And you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on this team so far? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely um, quite surprised that they've done this well. I'm not sure I would have picked them ninth in the league. I think people overrated Georgetown and St. John's because they had new coaches who they thought were going to, you know, revitalize their programs, and it's obviously going to take longer for Cooley and Patino to do that. So I might have picked them sixth or seventh. But to have them tied for third in the league, particularly after the way they played in the non-conference, it just didn't look like they had – enough enough of a lot of different things but um you know Kadari Richmond has taken his game to a to a new level um I think 
Dawes and, and Davis have been what we expect them to be. But to me, the biggest factor in Seton Hall being this good has been the play of Jaden Bediaco. I don't think anybody had it on their radar that he was going to be this good. And I think it's worth remembering that when they were struggling in the non-conference, his backup, Elijah Hutchins Everett, was out with a concussion, and that was putting a lot of pressure on Bediaco to play too many minutes. They right. found the right balance with those two guys now. And the way that Bediaco played against St. John's on Sunday was just phenomenal. It wasn't just the, the numbers, but the sheer grit and determination and hustle. I mean, he ran down a, a defensive rebound all the way on the right sideline like 35 feet from the basket, just because he wanted it more. Um, to me, he has been the the biggest surprise for Seton Hall and a huge reason why they are where they are. All right, Gary, my favorite my favorite question here, my favorite subject, I want to discuss your post-game coach's interview. It's <laughs> always notable and often newsworthy, a must-listen for me, and I know the other people who cover the team, especially when they're on the road and we're not there. How much different – is interviewing Shaw in that spot compared to Willard? Yeah, I mean, they're very different personalities. I, I had a very close relationship with, with Kevin. Um, we talked a lot outside of our formal interviews, and um, he was very comfortable with that, and we became very comfortable with each other. Um, Shaw's a little different. Um you know, we, we haven't been interviewing Shaw on the pregame show because he's just right, right. too locked in and intense in the couple of hours before the game. So we've limited his interviews to the postgame. And I don't have nearly as much interaction with Shaw. I mean, I've known him forever because, you know, he was an assistant to Kevin. But he puts a lot of pressure on himself. And I think that's reflected in the way that he coaches. He He's very... Um, dynamic with his players and very unforgiving in terms of um, letting them slide on the the little stuff. And I think that's reflected in the interviews. You know, Kevin, even 10 or 15 minutes after a loss, was able to joke around and and um, see the bigger picture, whereas I think Shaw is a much more focused individual. And we've gotten – he's gotten much, much better at the interviews, particularly um, – after losses, I think that he's realized that he 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 can't just say, you know, I've got nothing to say because, right. you know, he has to. I mean, part of part of the job is selling the program, and I think it took him a little while, um, at least till midway in his first year last year, to realize this isn't St. Peter's. You know, there are people actually listening who who care and and want to know what you think, and I think he's gotten much much better at at expounding on um on his thoughts after the game so it's two very different experiences i'm hoping that as shaw goes along he'll loosen up a little bit more i'm not sure he'll ever get to the you know joking about uh, uh having a bottle of wine after the game the way <laughs> the way kevin did but um you know they i i think you have to approach people where they are and and they are two different people and uh, and i think that you know, you get two very different kinds of responses from them. Do you have a favorite arena to call a game in? I mean, they, they vary obviously so much in, in their acoustics and the sounds of the crowd. I don't know how much that plays into your, but I don't know. What do, what do you, what arenas do you really like to call games in? 
I have to tell you that once the game starts, it really doesn't matter where we are as long as we're courtside. I mean, and that's one of the great things about calling college basketball is you sit six inches from the action. I mean, it's so different from baseball where you're hundreds of feet away. Um, you know, you can hear things, you can see things that you would never see from that kind of a distance. I will say my favorite arena of all time is the Palestra. Um, hmm. There's no venue for college basketball like that. Just the the shape of it, the the size of it. Um, I, I had the pleasure of being in the Palestra for big five double headers on several occasions back when those things existed. And you literally could not hear yourself talk if you talk to the person next to you. Um, it was so loud and so raucous for um, all 80 minutes of, of whatever four teams were playing in the doubleheader. Um, so that that's my favorite venue to, to call a game in. But honestly, once the game starts, you're, you're so tunnel vision that it really doesn't matter. Gary, does crowd noise impact you? Like when you're at the rack and it's it's deafening in there, does that impact your broadcast at all or no? With the headsets, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, the rack impacts me because we don't sit courtside. See, that's right. that's right. that's the difference there is that we're up and to the side and people stand in front of us and it's it's really not not a fun place to be. But the noise doesn't bother us. I mean, we you know, we're able to um to cancel out the the crowd noise to a large extent in terms of its impact on the broadcast. How do you keep your voice healthy all winter? Our good friend Tim McLoon, who's a long time, you know, Seton Hall's a long time public address announcer, seems like he's hoarse half the time. Now, obviously, he's singing with a band, but you know, you you obviously have a lot going on. How do you keep that? I've never heard your voice strain. I've been very lucky. I, I have had very few vocal problems over the years. I think when I first started out, um, before I really learned how to control my voice and, and speak from my diaphragm, I used to have more issues. Um, but, you know, at, in my adult life, I've been very fortunate in that my voice has been pretty resilient and I try not to strain it too much. One thing that I do, uh, much to the annoyance of my engineers sometimes, is I turn up my headsets very, very loud because that's, that way I will not scream and strain my voice um if i can hear myself at a at a, a a high volume it it leads to less vocal strain so that's that's the one trick that i've found hmm. what's it like having uh, pj carlissimo as an analyst on westwood one <laughs> well the best thing about that is that no matter what town you're in you find the best restaurant and get the best table <laughs> uh. BJ's great. I mean, he's just such a, a riot to be around. Um, he um, he knows everybody in the game and everything about the game. And um, I've been very lucky to do a couple of tournaments with him. And he's um, he's phenomenal, man. And he still loves Seton Hall. He talks about it all the time and um, and how much affection he has for the school and what a springboard it was for for his life. Um, but he is um, he's one of a kind, man. There's nobody like him. No question about it. Gary, what do you like most about calling college basketball as opposed to Major League Baseball? Is there a different feel, college as opposed to pro? Obviously, they're two different sports. Tell me what you like most about this, you know, your your uh, your your moonlighting job, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's completely different. I mean, it's it's basically 180 degrees in every respect. Um, you know, it's twice a week as opposed to seven days a week. It's two hour games as opposed to three hour games. Um, 
the kids play hard all the time, even when the games are bad. You know, it's in the NBA, you know, you're not quite sure whether everybody's going all out. Um, how about 211 points in an all star game? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, what an I abomination! Mean, I mean, what a joke, and but, um, but you know, the, the games are fun. Uh, there, there's so much, there's so much not to like about the underbelly of, of college sports, but the actual games themselves are always fun. And I, I've always felt that. And it's really the one sport that I would watch if I weren't working, um, just because I, I love watching games. Um, but the biggest thing for me is, um, at this point in my life, is it keeps my hand in radio because I'm a radio guy. Right. Um, you know, I've done... 18 years now with the Mets on television, but I still think in radio and, and then filter out and, and do TV. Um, my brain is wired toward description and, 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 um, you know, keeping that, that flow of information so that a person can see the game in their mind. And I love that. And the fact that I get to do the Pirates and and uh, the occasional postseason game um, really enables me to keep those radio chops up. And it's funny because, you know, you do game after game and then you go to spring training and you're doing spring training baseball on TV. And it just couldn't be more different from the, mm. the, the constant uh, action and emotion on the radio with college basketball. And then that whew, laid back nature of spring training baseball on TV. Amazing. Yeah, let me ask you, Gary, you've been doing it for 20 years now, coming in the winter and doing Seton Hall. It sounds like you plan on doing it for a while longer. As long as they'll have me. I mean, honestly, it's the most fun thing I do all year. Um, I don't consider it work. I, I consider it playtime. Um, don't tell them this, but I probably do it for free. Um, <laughs> um, it's you know, it's my passion. And uh, Dave and I have a great time. We've been fortunate enough to be together. It's our 21st season. And um, I don't think we've ever had an argument. <laughs> and, and he's a terrific guy. And um, what's great about having Dave there is that when I miss games, he can slide right over and do the play-by-play because -play that's that's his niche. And uh, for a guy who's not a, a ex-player, ex-coach, he does a really nice job on the, the color. And... Um, you know, we've, we've got a good thing going and, uh, I'd love to do it as long as I possibly can. I have a feeling that Seton Hall will have you guys for as long as you want to keep coming back. Gary Cohen, thank you for lending us your voice. He's headed to spring training, but we will see him on the hardwood soon. Thanks for joining us, Gary on Jersey jump shot. Thanks guys. I appreciate you having me. All right, Steve. Let's you love to get the insight, right? On the uh on the broadcaster's point of view and the passion and how different it is. And it reminds you in a way that uh college sports is different, right? And so there's someone who's called sports at the highest level, but college college basketball still gets his juices flowing. Pretty cool to hear that. Well, absolutely. And he's right. I mean, it is so uniquely different. I mean, baseball is such a conversational thing. You got to just talk and talk. And college basketball, there's really very little room other than talking about what just happened on the court to, you know, talk about your daily life and things like that. 
All right, we have a lot to discuss here because this has been really an insane week. Uh, let's start with we'll continue with Seton Hall, and they come back down 19 at St. John's. Really remarkable game, uh, considering you know you're on the road. The other coach is Rick Pitino. Both sides really needed the game, and Seton Hall came out flat. And you wondered, was this going to be you know at Villanova part two? And it wasn't. The Seton Hall's ability to punch back, to me, signals a team that's really capable of doing some damage in March, not just getting there. Obviously, this win was huge toward them getting there, a big you know, quad one win in the, in the resume. But a few things, in addition to just the team's general resolve, uh, Dre Davis, Steve, is so tough. You know, he was, he, he was struggling to walk. After the Xavier game, he's got a, a tender ankle. Um, he told Holloway, I want to play. I'm going to do this. And then he plays 34 minutes. I mean, that was a physical game. The guy plays 34 minutes, 15.7 boards, just a heroic effort. And I don't I don't use that word lightly, a heroic effort. And what a tough guy and a good guy. We had him on earlier this season on the podcast, an easy guy to root for, playing largely out of position this year. He's really a wing. He's played sort of a combo forward slash four times. Great job by him. I thought Shaheen Holloway totally outcoached Rick Pitino. Uh, that technical foul that Shaw got, which was his first of the year, not just the tee, but that he continued during the timeout, the ensuing timeout, to to push the officials to to look at how Kadari was uh, Richmond was getting hacked, and Kadari sees that, you know, and I think it. The light bulb goes on, and from there it was a different team. They're down 19. They go on a big run to cut it to seven, uh, to cut it to 12 into the half. Uh, they come out of the break, and then it's it's just all Seton Hall from then on. So Shaw did a great job. He, he has a short rotation. He handled them really well. Uh, he peeled the paint off the walls at halftime. He's pushed all the right buttons. Uh, I think he's I think he's a Big East Coach of the Year candidate, Steve. I know Dan Hurley has accomplished an incredible thing at UConn. And, you know, they're the best team in the country. And so if you're looking for, like, who is the coach of the best team, he gets credit for that. This is his doing, you know. But the coaches kind of know, and Rick Pitino kind of alluded to this, what Holloway has done with less, with less. Pick ninth. We don't know what the NIL war chest numbers are. We know Seton Hall's fractional of UConn and a lot of their peers in the Big East. What Holloway has done is remarkable this season. I know you're not surprised. No, absolutely not. And as you said, he is pushing all the right buttons at the right time of year. And guys are now really, you can see it, they believe. They believe in him. They believe in what he's doing. And now you see that. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I, I guess it was Rick Pitino after the game said, you know, he he's got guys in his image. That's who he's gotten. And, and you see that. Tough guys who are who are making a difference. They're, they may be a little shorthanded now compared to some other teams, but, you know, listen, they really seem to believe in what he's doing right now. And so Patino is interesting, right? Because he, he has this total meltdown. Like, I don't want to say it was a nervous breakdown, but it was somewhere between a meltdown and a nervous <laughs> breakdown. On the podium, 15 minutes, our buddy Zach Brazilier from the New York Post is grilling him with questions like, do you regret taking this job? Why didn't you keep this guy? Why didn't you keep that guy? And Patino, like, he, to his credit, he answered everything at length. But, man, 
some of the stuff that came out of his mouth and the the upshot was look he he trashed St. John's facilities he individually called out and criticized the athleticism and skill level of almost all of his players uh, he said it was like having the worst time of his life. I mean, it was like a th- the guy was on a therapy couch, and of course, this was this was reporters' gold, right? But but what he to me, what I got out of that, I know there were different headlines and different takeaways. What I got out of his thing was an admission that they went about roster building wrong. He cleared out the roster. He kept one or two guys. He assembled a whole new team of free agents, just disparate, talented parts that you can't form into a hole with the snap of a finger. Whereas Holloway kept his core together and then found fit pieces, not necessarily the most talented, but the fit pieces, uh, Dylan Adewusu being a big one who has played really well in two games against St. John's, his old team, who Patino called Wazoo. Patino gets up in the – he goes, Wazoo, shot two for nine, (laughs) 0 for four, and three-pointers, but – He's a good fit for what they do. Like a backhanded compliment, you know, but but fit, it's about fit. And like maybe Holloway didn't get the all the guys he wanted because of their NIL war chest constraints. But to his credit, he, he found the right fits. And it's the underrated intangible, right? So like the NIL and, and, and free agency in college basketball, maybe it's not going to be about like who can assemble the most talent by waving money around. That's failing for for St. John's right now. It's failing in different places around the country. Memphis, USC, Indiana. Uh, it, it's, you know, and Seton Hall, here's the, the the whole is better than the sum of the parts. It's great coaching, but it's also great roster management. And that's what I really got out of that press conference. Well, and listen, this is an added level of coaching now in this day and age, right? It's being able to put a team together, especially if you don't have the NIL bucks that some other programs have. Um, and I think you're, you're you're seeing from Shaheen Holloway, he understands that and kind of has a grasp on, on, on what he's trying to do in terms of team building. Quick, Two more quick things on Seton Hall. Bracketology, our buddy Brad Wachtel has him as an 11 seed right now. He has them as the as the first team uh, inside of the last four in, so right now not in the first four games in Dayton. Obviously, there's there's some work left to do. They have three home games, right? And if they win all three, they're a lock to get in. They'll be favored against Butler on Saturday after having a bye. Uh, they've already beaten Butler on the road. Then Villanova comes in, and then you wrap up against DePaul, which they should they should beat. Obviously, DePaul's a mess. So Villanova being maybe the swing game. But they have three, plus they have two road games that are going to be hard to win. So they got a lot of shots here to get up to that magic number to get them in. They're in, they're on the pace to get there. Uh, I wanted to say about the Butler game on Saturday, and we've we've kind of gone over this a little bit, but it's really imperative for Seton Hall fans, especially the students, to rally behind this team. The student attendance has been abysmal for a lot of games this year. Uh, I think they'll have a good crowd. In this. I mean, they should have a big crowd on a Saturday night for Butler. I'm sure it'll be close to field. The students will turn out. They're having a Greek night promotion. They're pretty close to selling out all the tickets. I don't think Butler Saturday night's going to be the issue. But that that game against Villanova on a Wednesday at 6.30 in a couple weeks, that could be like a win and in game for them. And will the students turn out and support this team the way students at their Big East peers turn out? Like that's a big question right now. And last week, it was so bad the turnout for the Xavier game at Seton Hall won big. The student turnout was so bad that the university's brand account. Did you see this, Steve? The university's Twitter account 
not the athletic department. Seton Hall University's Twitter account called them out. There was a, they put a poem online. Roses are red, pirates are blue. Students, where were you? And it was wow. crazy with a picture of the empty student section, which later was deleted. It later was deleted, but it was you know it was like, well, God, what do you have to do? So I think. I don't think it'll be an issue Saturday, but going forward, can they turn out? We'll see. All right. A lot on Seton Hall there. Let's go on to Rutgers also. It's also had a fascinating week, right? So on Thursday, they have a tremendous game against Northwestern at home where they win their fourth straight win. They go up to 4-0 with Jeremiah Williams in the lineup coming off a gambling suspension. Jeremiah was our guest last week. He did a great job, and he's really been a revelation like running the offense and playing defense Steve Peichel style. Uh, for Rutgers, the Northwestern game, there was there were a couple of great moments in that game, I thought, Steve, just from a humanity standpoint. You know, uh, Andre Hyatt, who relinquished his starting position, he he's pushed to the bench as a sixth man to make room for Jeremiah Williams. Well, well, the basketball gods smiled on Andre Hyatt and rewarded him. He hits the game-winning shot in the last minute. And isn't that awesome? And isn't that how it's supposed supposed to go? Andre Hyatt is, Andre Hyatt is a great guy, by the way. Great guy. And so really happy to see that happen for him. It was a super nice moment. What a message. And he had a great line afterwards. You know, he said, he said, how can I be a leader and tell other guys to accept their roles if I can't accept mine? So that was awesome. And then his roommate, Oscar Palmquist, these guys are best friends. Oscar Palmquist, at the end of the rotation, he lost his spot in the rotation to make room for Jeremiah Williams. He goes from the 10th to the 11th guy. But then Mawat Mag can't go. Back in comes Palmquist as number 10. And wouldn't you know, he hits three three-pointers in the first half to ignite Rutgers' rally against Northwestern. Just a poetic couple of moments and really a reporter's dream uh, at the rack Thursday. And then, you know, Rutgers goes to Minnesota Sunday and loses. Minnesota's good. They're really good at home. They bottled up Jeremiah Williams. There's some tape on him now. You know, there's four games of tape. Coaches are going to school on. Rutgers' defense finally broke. Uh, it's hard to play defense at that level so many games in a row. Look, it's going to happen. You're going to lose games on the road in a league like the Big Ten. They have Purdue next, which is obviously a really big deal at Purdue. But the bottom line with Rutgers, Steve, is they're playing meaningful games in February. Two weeks ago, we didn't think we'd say that. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest takeaway right now is that there really is something to play for down the stretch. And I think it really makes Purdue game – you know, that much more interesting. I mean, it's going to be very tough on the road, obviously. But listen, Rutgers, Rutgers can play with anyone in, in as they are constructed right now in the Big Ten. And, you know, that, I think that makes it really interesting. They have a good history against Purdue. They've played them really well. They played them well without Jeremiah Williams. In the pre-Jeremiah Williams era, they played Rutgers really well, uh, played Purdue really well. Uh, at home, lost by eight, but it was really closer than that. And so, but Purdue's coming off a loss, which you don't really like, right? They don't lose too often. They got embarrassed by Ohio State and by embarrassed. They lost by four, but embarrassed. They lost to a team with a four and 10 league record. And so coming home a little angry, you don't really like the dynamics of that very much. Uh, so I'm not going to, we're not going to really talk about Rutgers in terms of the NCAA tournament yet. If they beat Purdue, you know, we'll certainly revisit that next week. Be Purdue and Maryland. Kevin Willard comes in with Maryland uh, noon uh, Sunday at the rack. So we can revisit Rutgers postseason situation next week. For now, suffice it to say that they're playing meaningful games in February. They seem to have found an identity. 
a lineup that works, and it's just good mojo around the program and what we all knew was going to be a transition year. I want to mention one more thing about Rutgers uh, before we go into Mohammed's crazy week, and that is, you know, Steve Peichel had had a, a rant for him, a rant, okay? He's a very nice guy and thoughtful and handles his his frontman responsibilities exceptionally well with the Scarlet Knights. But he he did go off about Ken Palm uh, in, in his postgame after Northwestern because, you know, Ken Palm ranks their offense 300th and Ken, Ken Palm – People take the analytics as gospel. Analytics obviously have an important role in today's game, right? It's it's used for scouting purposes. It's used for uh, media purposes. Predictive analytics are an important part of how, how they go into the resume for your NCAA tournament. So they it, analytics matter. I don't want to dismiss them as they don't matter. But like Peichel had a good point when he said, you know, Ken Palm doesn't die for loose balls. Uh, it is a human element to, to sports, especially to college basketball. When there's five guys on a floor, that's it. It's not like you're sending an army of, of 11, 22 football players out there to overwhelm somebody. It's five guys. They're collegians. There's a lot of human human element involved in this. And so, like Ken Palm, people take it as gospel. And just to go back to Seton Hall for a second, people were asking me, why is – before the game, St. John's game, why is St. John's favored by six or seven points? That's what Ken Palm had – Ken Palm still has St. John's ranked like a dozen or 15 spots ahead of Seton Hall. How is that even possible? Seton Hall's beaten them twice by a combined 28 points, uh, 20, 21 points. Seton Hall is four games ahead of them in the league. Seton Hall is five, three more wins overall. Uh, they have five quad one wins. Uh, more than, they have more than St. John's in that category. How how are they possibly behind them? It makes no sense. Somebody make it make sense. So and 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 people are looking at this in the NCAA tournament resume. It's absurd. It's absurd to say that St. John's is better than Seton Hall at this point. It's absurd. I don't care what your what your algebra tells you. Use your eyeballs. It's basketball. Okay. And rant, Steve Mammoth. What happened against Campbell? The craziest end to a game of the year in New Jersey, and maybe in quite some time. Well, it was a pretty much unbelievable. You know, Xander Rice, who's honestly been brilliant start to finish all year and has just won one game after another for Monmouth, hit two three-pointers in the final 3.2 seconds. Good grief. Campbell. And I, when I tell you, he, he hit two three-pointers. The first one was, I don't know, 28 feet with a guy right in his face. And the second one was from 40 feet falling down, banked both of them in to win the game. Uh, so yeah, in- incredibly wild end to, you know, what has been just a wild season for Mammoth in general. So what was the atmosphere like in the building when this stuff goes going down? People, I hope people didn't leave early. Well, I tell you what, it, it was, it was quite loud and, and it was, I mean, again, the drama was Mammoth had an 11 point lead with five minutes to go. Oh, yeah. And with 10 seconds left, they're down five. So, you know, it was, it was a wild swing. And, you know, I mean, it really is, it, it kind of is the latest in what have been just some amazing storylines for Mammoth this year. I mean, we mentioned Xander and, and Xander doing all this coming home for his COVID year to play for his dad, right. you know, and has led this. I mean, this team was one in 20 to start the season last year. You know, right now they're, they're in a nice spot in the CAA. I mean, but they have so, I mean, 
Saturday, you know, they had a they had a nice win against Stony Brook. They crushed Stony Brook. You know, they have a Ukrainian big man, Nikita Konstantinovsky. And I tell you what, 22 points, 20 rebounds. You know, this is a kid who he, wow. he sends the money he makes on campus home to his mom in Kiev. You know, so another great story. You know, they and and there's kind of the drama behind Mammoth has won 12 straight at home, but they've lost 10 straight on the road. It's crazy. So it, it's crazy. And it kind of sets up the end of the season now because they go to Towson where it's very tough to win. Towson had an 18 game home winning streak snapped by Delaware last week. Uh, so that will be very tough. Mammoth, three of their last four games are on the road. But if they can ride this momentum and they have a lot of young kids that are really playing well and are super talented. So Mama's got four games left. If they were able to sweep those games, that's a top four seed probably in the CAA tournament right through to the quarterfinals. And if you're looking for a storyline, you know, that would be the best storyline of all for this team would be ending an 18 year NCAA tournament drought. So we'll see what happens. No matter what happens, Steve, I think Xander Rice's legacy is he has has lifted Mammoth to show a place where they can say, like, we belong in this league. We can level up to the CAA coming from the MAC. You know, we couldn't say that last year. We can say that this year, and he's the primary driver behind that. And that he's a, that he's the coach's son and a great guy. Former, you know, was a guest on our podcast earlier on the season. Makes it even sweeter. I think he's. So we talk about the Haggerty Award, which is the award that long-standing, prestigious award that goes to the best player in the New York metropolitan area in college basketball, men's college basketball, and and uh, I think he's right there with Kadari Richmond. I mean, Xander's averaging twenty, almost twenty-two points a game. He's, he's carried this team on his back. I know he has some some capable teammates, but he's done some incredible things. So I think he's right there with Kadari Richmond as a candidate for the award, which doesn't get doled out till after the postseason, right? So that the postseason matters. I would say Xavier Lee of Princeton is also probably in the mix. Three New Jerseyans, but that is some this is some legacy season for the Rice family. Yeah, it really is. And and again, I think Xander's any in terms of awards, I think Mammoth has to have some success now down the stretch. You know, I think you know there's a couple kids in the CAA that are having good seasons. Um, and 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 so if Mammoth can have success, you know, down the down the stretch, I think CAA player of the year is certainly, you know, right there for the taking for him. That would be impressive and, and well deserved if he can get it. Uh Princeton, I attended the game in Jadwin against Yale. They look great. Uh, big Ivy League showdown aired on ESPN two, uh, 4,500 people rocking Jadwin Jim old school, like the nineties all over again. Mitch Henderson said it was like when he played there, which is a big compliment. As you know, Princeton was, you know, the center of the basketball universe in, in that, in that late mid to late nineties in New Jersey. Uh, and so it was just, a. I brought my son CJ, who's 13, he's almost 14, I brought him to Jadwin for the first time. He loved it. He absolutely loved it. I brought him to the post-game press conference. He found it all so interesting, uh, but really got a kick out of the atmosphere. Like, and Mammoth has had this too, that that mid-major, that 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 juice, juiced up mid-major atmosphere is great. Like, that's what college basketball is, right? And I, I don't know how it looked on TV, Steve, but I think that's the advertisement that Princeton put out there Saturday night in addition to winning a big basketball game. Yeah. And listen, I, I've always thought that when Jadwin is jumping, it's a great place, you know? So it, again, 
Princeton has has gotten such a great run under Mitch Henderson here. And, you know, after what happened last year, you know, hopefully, you know, you see more games like that where you have the 4,500 there and, and the place is going crazy. And so it's great to see. Yeah, and the student section was packed. Uh, Tosan Awoma was there. He was He's with the Pistons right now on a 10-day. It's the NBA All-Star break weekend, and he, he was there signing autographs. Great dude. Got to say hello to him. Uh, and I think it's crazy to sa- say, Steve, I think this team's even better than last year's team that made the Sweet 16. I think they're all around better. You know, they don't have a player as dynamic as Tosan, although Xavier Lee's really, really good, different type of player. But what, what impressed me most about Princeton, two things that impressed me most about them against Yale, aside from the atmosphere. One is that Princeton won this game going away and shot poorly. I mean, Princeton is a, is a great shooting team. They were 6 of 24 from three-point range. Like, that's very uncharacteristic for them. And they still won the game going away. So they, they did all the other things right. They got to the basket. They rebounded well. They played terrific defense. And that's the other thing I wanted to mention is that you know, we we've, they, we know they have really good guards. They always have good guards. And Princeton's weakness has been, like, they don't really have a traditional postman like they've had the past few years. And here comes Yale with a seven-footer, Danny Wolf, who's on he's on the scout, the radar of NBA scouts. Danny Wolf had zero points. He shot 0 for 8 from the field. Caden uh, Pearson, the opening minute of the game, gets stepped on. He's got blood gushing from his chin. He runs. This is Indianapolis Colts, a wide receiver's brother, right? So he's probably been scraped up a few times in the backyard. He runs it to the back. They stitch him up. In the meantime, Zach Martini shuts down shuts down Wolf. Zach was our guest earlier this season on the podcast. He shuts down Danny Wolf. Cade comes back in. He shuts down Danny Wolf. So I thought Princeton's post-defense was fantastic. And that's been sort of the, the question mark for them this year. So if they can put that together with shooting the ball like they normally do, here's a team that could win the Ivy League tournament, which will not be easy because Yale and Cornell are like right there as good as them. And this is what I tried to ask. I tried to get at with Mitch Henderson after the game is that you have three teams that could make a run in the NCAA tournament. That would be a scary as hell 12 seed in the NCAA tournament. And only one's going to get in. Like, what's wrong with that? You know, because you can't get a quad one game because no one will play you because you have zero quad one opponents. You can't even enter the at-large conversation. Even though you're 19 and three, you were in the Sweet 16 last year. Much of that team's back. We know you're really good. You can see it. And yet they, they have to win the league. So he was pretty diplomatic about it, Steve. This is what we sign up for. We know the deal. It makes you, it makes you better if you do get to March, the March Madness because of what you had to survive. But he also said, you know, it stinks because we do have three multiple teams that can make a run. And Steve, it does stink. I just, I hate that Princeton can't be in the at-large considerations. It doesn't make any sense. It's not, it's not what basketball should be about. No, again, you goes back to what you said earlier, the eye test, you know, just take a look at these, these Ivy league teams. I mean, they are so good. And again, just look at what Princeton did last year. So, you know, again, I think we've gotten so obsessed by metrics nowadays. It, it, it it blinds people as to what's really going on. And hopefully, you know, the, the the NCAA selection committee and all, if Princeton were to, you know, win out and lose in a final, um, you know, would, would see beyond that. But I I love, I really had a great time at the game just from a purely just observer of perspective, so like when when Mamet's rocking and Princeton's rocking, like this is a great, it's just a it's a great element to New Jersey college basketball. And I would encourage 
people, you know, listeners, fans who, who follow our work. Like if you have a chance over the next few weeks, check one of these places out. It's not a very expensive ticket. You have a great view. You know, go to one of these mid-major arenas and watch these teams play. They're fun and they have terrific players who are going to play on the next level as, a, as in the pros in some respects. So that's my little soliloquy about that. I want to just touch on two more things. It's a long podcast this week. How about FDU getting trapped in an elevator? They were trapped in a freight elevator at LIU for 15 minutes. They had to crawl out. The fire department of New York had to, had to get them out. They had to crawl out, Steve. They couldn't get the elevator to properly align. They had to crawl out of like a three-foot hole. So they come out. They, they come That's out. The for you. I mean, really. Jack Jack Hasselberry, another one of our former guests, who's a great guy. Uh, he was guest earlier this season. He's in his first season as a head coach. My goodness. So he's not in the elevator, right? He's standing there as the players are crawling out. There's no nothing in the coaching handbook for this. What the heck do you do? So he he goes to the to the game officials and says, Can you give me 15 minutes so these guys can get the composure? I'm like, okay, 15 minutes. So he's got 15 minutes to get his team composed. The lights were out in the elevator. They were, it was, there was, it was hot. They were 13 dudes in a freight elevator, right? These guys are rattled. So Jack gave him five minutes to just sort of on their own, decompress. He walks in and says, You guys are ready to do this? And they're like, let's do it. They go out and they beat LIU in in overtime. I mean, I don't know in its own way. Maybe it's impressive a win. I know Seton Hall beat UConn. Maybe this is as impressive a win as there was in New Jersey college basketball this year under the circumstances. Right, Steve? You can't make it up. No, it's unbelievable. And and listen, you know, as you said, we had Jack on earlier. I think they, I think they've got something going there. I think they're going to be able to build that thing. And and again, another great example of of, of him doing a great job. Right. And so, just to reset you with with uh, where FDU's at, uh, they're uh, seven and five, tied for third place in the league. So, if they finish in the top four, they'll host a quarterfinal, which is a big deal to have that on your home floor. So they, you know, they got a shot. Uh, Merrimack's the favorite. You know, again, and they're eligible this year. But FDU will have a chance, certainly, to do something if they get in that host in that tournament. Just want to throw a quick bonus. St. Peter's, uh, they beat Siena and Iona, the latter of which, of course, is always impressive beating Iona, even in a in a, in a rebuilding scheme under Tobin Anderson, who we know well. Um, St. Peter's is 9-6. and six. They're like a half game behind in fifth place. Corey Washington, their best player, a forward sophomore, is healthy again. He had been banged up. He's putting up big numbers again. So – the Mac is so wide open. I know Quinnipiac, I think, you know, they need to be considered the favorite. Tom Pacor has done a great job. But you know how that tournament goes. It's on a neutral court. So St. Peter's will be a team to watch. We'll keep an eye on them down the stretch, Steve. Absolutely. Those were two great wins. And, and again, I, I think what you're seeing is you're seeing some New Jersey teams kind of putting themselves in position to – you know, maybe land a roundhouse punch come March. We know the last few years have been pretty dramatic around here. All right, we'll be there. Can there be more drama? Yes, there can be. Will there be more drama? Probably. And we'll be back here to tell you all about it. Thanks to Gary Cohen for lending his voice, his exceptional voice to the Jersey Jump Shot. Uh, For Steve Edelson, I'm Jerry Carino. We'll be watching hoops. We'll be talking about it. And we'll be back next week on the Jersey Jump Shot podcast. Thanks for joining us.